just so you know, Point Way Church, PJ and I feel very much appreciated. You guys have done an outstanding job and appreciate all the cards, the gift cards, uh, the gifts, individual gifts, and uh, yes, we did appreciate those two lobsters, so they were wonderful last night, and in case you're wondering, I am available. I can proc a lobster with the best of them, and so if you need help with that, I will gladly do that. It may cost you a lobster in the process, but I would certainly would be willing to help with that, but no. Thank you so much. We are very blessed here at Point Way, and we are thankful for you, so we appreciate that. Hey, Everett, don't leave now, man. We're going to do James, James chapter 6 today. Ah. <laughs> Everett and I have this running joke. No, we're not doing James chapter 6. There is no James chapter 6. I'm joking. If you're visiting here today, just so you know, we've been in a long series in James about 11, 12 weeks we've been doing the book of James, but we finished last week. Although, I still look at through the, everything through the lens of James, and it's kind of inspired this morning's message. It's kind of a, an add-on to that. And again, all Scripture is connected, and all Scripture does breathe together. And this passage I, spoke, I kind of picked out this morning kind of lended that from last week. And we were talking about the multitude of sins, right? Turning back a sinner. Well, there's a parable that Jesus taught when he was here, and we're going to look at that this morning. James, uh, James, I can't, I mean, you can't even say it. Luke chapter 15. And just be, as you're turning there, and it'll be up on the, the big screen as well, just to give you a little bit of background, Luke, the writer of this gospel, was a Gentile believer, which is kind of unique in a way because he's writing about Jesus in that time. And predominantly, as we've, we've said before, Jesus was speaking to the Jews, and Jesus was a Jew, and that was the, the nation of Israel. That's who he was targeting most of the time, and his teachings are kind of Jewish in that flavor. But Luke comes along, and he wants to capture the Gospels. He don't want them to get lost, Jesus' ministry. And so as a Gentile, and actually he was a doctor as well, writes this, but it's great for us Gentiles because he gives us a lot of details and a perspective that we may not have culturally as we're not predominantly here this morning. We're not Jewish. And again, it's great when we can kind of go back to the scriptures and insert ourselves into the, the story. You know, and one of the important things about the gospels too is as believers in Jesus Christ, it's important that we know who we're following and that we know Jesus. We say we want to become more and more like Christ. Well, part of that is studying Christ himself and the ministry he had while he was here on earth. And so that's the opportunity that we have as we look through the Gospels. And again, Luke gathers the information, he puts it into pen for us, and we get this wonderful story. And some have called this the prodigal son, although the prodigal son in himself is not the main character here. As with the Gospels, the main character is Jesus. And so as we look through that, I kind of want to place that in your mind. Again, the prodigal son gives us a point of reference, but he's just one of the minor characters in this story. And this story is important to me because, again, I have elements of my own life into this. And again, I would almost guarantee here this morning that you have elements of, in your walk with Jesus that you can see yourself in this story. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So again, chapter 15, and we're going to start with verse 11. Jesus is teaching here, and again, he's using parables to teach. And Jesus knows that in his audience, he not only has those who, who don't know him very well, but he also has the Pharisees. They're listening in. They're, they're hearing this message as well. And so, different background varied. 
just like it is here this morning. We're all coming this morning from different backgrounds, different places, different walks, um, maybe even in different spots in our lives. Maybe you're at a, a low spot this week. Maybe you're at a high spot. I don't know that. But we're all coming to God's Word together. And Jesus knows that, and He teaches this knowing that there are others hearing. So I just kind of wanted to make that clear. But this is part of Jesus' teaching. And He continues on here with this parable, and He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Okay, just a couple of things here point out. One, for two sons, again, they're, they're going to get an inheritance. But the thought here is just like it is today, you don't get that until you die. Right? That's when you leave it in your will. You leave it to, but it's precluded that you're going to die in order. So to ask beforehand is a huge insult. Culturally, it's, it's, it's an insult, but it, even today it would be an insult, right? You know, if, if one of you that have kids and say, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die, but I want it now. I'm impatient. I want, I want it right now. Well, if you flip that around, if you're the father, you're like, oh, geez, my son doesn't think very much of me. All he wants is my money. He doesn't care about me now that I'm living. That's kind of the thought here is, man, I wish you would die. Hurry up. Interesting here, too, is the younger son that's asking. And again, Jewish culture is a little bit different. Custom is a little bit different. The oldest son would get two-thirds, and the younger son would only get a third. And again, the, the younger son would have to wait until the older son got his first. So by him asking, this is totally flipping this whole situation upside down. It's way out of order. It's out of bounds. It's not the norm. But that's what he's asking. And interestingly, the father gives it to him. Right? Dad had every right to say, you know what, son? No, you've got to wait. It's not your time. But yet the father gives it to him. Gives him, he divided the property, he gives it to the, older son, to the younger son. Next verse. Not long after this, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Like I said, maybe that's part of your background, maybe that's part of your story. But how many times do we see that a younger person that's given a lot of money doesn't know how to use it or doesn't use it correctly? Right? We don't have to look very far, right? We see it on our media every day. We see it with football players or basketball, any sports person. We give millions of dollars to a 20-year-old and we expect them to use the money correctly. That's, that's an unfair burden. It's typical, right? Especially by the world's standards. Live for today, right? Young people don't often think about the future. They're thinking about right here and now. I say young people. Guess what? I know a lot of older people that are in the same boat, all right? So don't, don't, don't check out here on me just because you're a little bit older, maybe a little bit wiser, but Again, we still all can squander money. And again, it says while living here, and the, the thought is he's just blowing it on his pleasures at the moment. Verse 14, after he had spent everything there was, a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to become in need. So he went and hired himself out, a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs 
or eating, but no one gave him anything. All right, he's found himself in this situation. Yes, partly on his own, but also partly of the circumstances that are around him, right? And again, I'm sure like many young people, when he spent that money, he had lots of friends. He had people around him, people that were enjoying helping him spend that money. But when times get tough, guess what? They all scattered. They weren't there for him. And he's left alone and he's hungry. Even the basic need of food he doesn't have right now. And so he does the best that he can. He goes and hires himself out to work with pigs. And again, culturally, for a Jew to go work in the pigs is like the lowest of low jobs, right? Pastoring's here, feeding pigs. No, I'm just kidding. I can't even do that. It's not even close. No, it's, it's a low job. It's, it's the bottom rung, right? You have to be pretty desperate to get that low, to be a Jew, to go work among the pigs. Because pigs were considered unclean animals. They were uh, the low of the low. And that's where he finds himself. He's gone from living in his father's house, having it easy, then to having all sorts of money, to now at the bare roots, feeding the pigs. And you know what? He's eating part of the food that's given to the pigs. I know a few people have had pigs, and guess what? Pigs will eat almost anything. You can throw almost anything to a bunch of pigs, and they will eat it. They just love to eat. And they'll eat. most of the time, it's garbage. It's the leftovers. It's not much of value. And again, if times were tough, the pigs weren't getting fed well. They were getting fed the scraps of the scraps. And yet, this young man finds himself probably amongst the pigs eating. It says about the, the pods, just the, the outer shells. Probably it's because he could get it before the pigs got to it. And, because, and it says no one gave him anything. So he's alone, he's hungry, he has no money. We would say he's probably at the bottom, or as far low as he can get. This next verse is interesting here, and it's kind of a transition in him. So verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And have I, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. You know, like I said, he got to that bottom. He got to that point of, it says it came to his senses. He came to that point of saying, you know what? This is beyond what I can bear. I'm at the bottom. I need to return. Now, I told you this, this story is, is, impacts me in my life because you know what? I've been in that same spot. Maybe you've been in that same spot, right? You know, I was blessed. I grew up in a Christian home. My, my folks took me to church. I got saved when I was young at 12 years old. But I did the typical wild thing. Those teenage years, high school years, I walked away from the church. I walked away from anything that was remotely religious. Total away from it. Didn't want any part of it. And I remember getting to that bottom point as well. I'll never forget it. Again, I had been out drinking the night before. I, at the time, I was working at a cow farm. And the 
dairy farm. Yes, I've done that. I've been in that situation. And if you know anything about barns, where the cows are is, is in the lower level. The, the food is above, and so it's the low level, and that's where all the manure goes, and that's where it runs out. That's where I found myself early in the morning before milking time. And I was sitting on a hay bale, not feeling very well, at the bottom of my bottoms, and I heard God say, have you had enough? And that's when I came to my senses, and I said, you know what? Yeah, Lord, I've had enough. And I would love to say that I turned around right then and there, and I was walking with the Lord and and got into ministry and did things right. That wasn't my progression. But from that point, I can clearly look back, that was my bottom of bottoms. I did enroll into college, went to ENC. I met this beautiful lady there. It was part of my uh, restoration and part of my, my life. She's still here, which is great, 30 some odd years later. But it's been a slow walkout. But it was a turning point. It was the bottom of the bottom. And you know what? The, the neat thing is, when you come to your senses and you get to that point, God is right there. He meets you right exactly where you're at. Let's see how, the God, how the God the Father here meets this young man who's wandered away as well. Except the story can relate to, and maybe you relate to that as well in your walk, there are times that we get away. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And again, culturally, a couple things here. Older men didn't run. (laughs) Not because they couldn't run. They just didn't. It, it It was disrespectful. It wasn't part of their culture. But the neat thing here is the father was actually looking towards the son. He was looking for him, couldn't wait till he came back. Again, I told you I was going to reference you back to James. Remember in James when we, we had that sentence that we kind of picked out in chapter 4, right? It said, if, if we come near, Jesus comes near to us. We kind of get that same picture, right? This father was longing for his son to return. And he was watching the hill just and when he just happened to recognize, hey, that's my son. He forgot all culture. He forgot all priority. And he ran towards his son. And again, he just didn't run and he didn't chew him out, right? right? He didn't run up to him and say, hey, you, you blew it, son. No. He kissed him. And again, the kiss is, is a tenderly affectionate. It's like a gathering up in the arms. That's a, the Greek and the, the, the thought here. It's almost like a, a, a chicken that gathers its chick. It's that a regrouping of the family unit is the thought here. And so he flings his arms around him, he kisses him, and he's, he's just welcoming back. And you can just see the compassion, the tears are, are rolling down his eyes. He's just so happy that his son is back. And the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son humble position, right? We've even talked about that here, about our relationship. And when we get away in sin and we get away from God, right, our pride will often keep us in that sin state longer. And we need to humble ourselves. And again, in humility, we come to Christ. And the son is at that point. He's coming to the father in humility and he's saying, I'm not even worthy to call your son. Just, just please hire me on. Just let me, let me work for you. But we see the love of the Father here. He says to his servants, quick, 
bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. Again, culturally, this wasn't done. And again, this was a sign of not only restoration, but it was a sign of bringing him back to equal standing. Equal standing as his son. Again, you don't have to go back too far in that story, right? Remember, right? He's already kind of said, Dad, I wish you were dead by insulting him and taking his wealth. Dad doesn't owe him anything at this point. But yet he loves on him graciously, restores him to a place of honor, and they have a big celebration, a feast. He's, he's so happy. He wants everybody to celebrate the return of his son. Look back culturally, and it's interesting that they didn't kill animals very often. They were precious. And remember, there was a famine going on in the land at the time. We kind of missed that detail. But again, the fact that he killed the animal was, again, it didn't matter at this point. His son was back. He's celebrating. This is important. This is something worthy to be celebrating. Meanwhile, sometimes we forget there's two, two sons, right? Meanwhile, the older son's there, and he's watching, and he was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music, he heard the dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Watch the reaction here. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You will never give me a young goat so yet, you never, oh, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf, call for him. All right? The attitude here kind of rings through this. You can see the, the despise, right? The older brother has written the younger brother off. That's what's taking place here. There's some jealousy going on. Right? If you that have two boys, it ends up having this competition, right? And rightfully so. This older, older brother saying, hey, you know what? I've worked. You know, I slaved away and insulted you. I haven't squandered the money. I've stayed and worked hard for you. I've slaved away. You haven't killed the fattened calf for me. You haven't let me have this celebration. Kind of like, why are you making such a big deal? What about me, Right? Again, there's parts of this story, and i got to tell you, there's parts of the story that I have to watch out, that I don't become the same way. I said, the story, there's a lot of application in there. Sometimes when we serve in, in ministry, or we're that, that one that's been faithful, and we've been doing the right thing, and we see someone else come in and, and get the celebration, or get the, the rewards, or the congratulations, doesn't that little hint of jealousy come in? Don't we all struggle with that from time to time? Maybe I'm the only one, so maybe it doesn't apply to me. No, we, we all have a little bit of the older brother, uh, and we have to be careful with that. The father yet, though, still pleads, even with the older son, even though he has the wrong attitude. Look here in this next verse. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And again, as a parable, yes, this parable is not just a great story and just something that we can listen to and say, oh, yeah, that, that's great. That, it's, a, it's a happy ending, right? It's a, it's a Disney ending in many ways. But again, the application. How do, how do we apply this to our lives? And, and who are these characters? Well, the, the, the easiest of these to recognize is the Father, right? This is God our Father. This is God who wants that relationship with us. He's the one that lavishes the gifts on us. He's the one that gives us things even when we don't deserve them. He lets us choose the wrong thing sometimes. That's part of that free will. In many ways, it would be a lot easier if he didn't, wouldn't it? It would be so much easier if, if God just said, no, this is the way it is, and you do it. You have no choice. Just obey. It's not God how, that's not how the relationship works. That's not how God set it up. We are given that choice. We can choose the wrong thing. But isn't it also great that when we choose the wrong thing and we get to that point and we recognize that we need God and we need that relationship, we can just say, Father, please forgive me. And we're right back there. You know, and, and we are that son that, that God lavishes his gifts on. He puts his arms around us. He celebrates. He's happy that we are back in fellowship. Interestingly, the older brother, again, remember I told you, Jesus is speaking, and he knows there's people on the outside that are listening. Well, in this parable, the, the older brothers are the Pharisees. And again, I, I've been tough on Pharisees as well, and I look at them when I look through Scripture, and I say, man, they, they missed the boat. How could they miss Jesus the Messiah? And man, they, they were trying to do the right thing with the law and trying to keep the rules, but they lost the heart. They lost the compassion. They lost the fact that if, the, if someone came back, they made it harder rather than easier for them to come back into relationship with Jesus. Again, they put up barriers. They put up walls. Again, they were trying to follow the rules, but they had no heart, no relationship. Again, we can all have times of that in our own lives. In fact, we can take pieces of these and say, hey, I've been that way. I've, I've judged people wrongly. I've not been welcoming. You know, it was great with our missions moment, right? About welcoming those who, who may not look like us. And, and PJ mentioned about not being like us um, from different cultures, different statuses. Again, that's the heart of the Father. That's the piece that we need to focus on. Being more like Jesus. Being more willing and having compassion on those that may be struggling just coming back. Again, back to my story, I was, was thankful that there were people in my life that didn't give up on me when I was at that low point. They were still praying for me. And when I did try to come back and I started to make strides, they actually helped me along that way. I'm so thankful for those folks that they hadn't written me off. Same thing here. The Father doesn't want to write anyone off. In fact, also interesting in the story, the Father runs out and talks to you. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to come as well. He didn't give up on them. He didn't agree with what they were doing, but Jesus loved the Pharisees just as much as he loved the sinners, the common people. It's a great thing about Jesus. He doesn't see those differences, those barriers. He died for all of them. He died for us. 
And he continually wants that relationship with us. And so maybe this week you need to wrestle with some things. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus. I don't know where you are in your relationship. But maybe there's some elements of a Pharisee that's gotten in there. Maybe there's part of that prodigal and you, you haven't fully submitted that. And you say, you know what? There's still some areas that I need to say, Lord, I'm done. I've come to my senses. Please take me back. Or maybe you're in a good spot. Maybe you are right where you need to be. And you know what? God is saying, you know what? Be me this week. Be me this week. Where we work, where we run into people, be me this week. Be that loving father. Seek out that prodigal son. Seek out maybe that person that's gone wayward. And be me this week. May that be our cry. Maybe that always be part of us that we'd be more and more like Jesus each and every day. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you for your word that is still alive and active. Lord, I pray that you just continue to do that work in our lives, that we do come to our senses and that we want to be in right relationship with you. Lord, give us opportunities this week to be you in those places. Give us eyes, give us hearts to see people as you see them and to have that compassion and love for them as you continue to do that work. Lord, may there be more prodigals coming back to the Father. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.